God is good. He is very, very good. Amen? Yeah, today we're going to be looking at stepping out and stepping up. Over the past weeks, I believe the Lord has seriously been trying to tell us something. There's obviously a need for us to change, to be changing individually so that we can see a change in the church and as a nation. Through Pastor Penny at the end of September and Matt last week, we heard the call to become new wineskins in readiness for the abundant life that he longs to give us for the new wine that God has promised us. We were challenged by the words of Jesus in Revelation, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Pastor Tark had challenged us before that, the week before, I think, with his, new, his opening question. Have we put revival in the too hard basket? We must acknowledge that revival starts first within each one of us, he says. We need individually a personal revival for revival to come, the promised revival of God. Pastor Jody asked us to go higher, deeper, wider, as we look out for and spot where God is working and join with him in whatever he is doing. Because she says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Can you see the theme? Can you hear the word of the Lord? There's an urgency here. And I believe that God wants this theme to be continued again today. But let's start off with prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, my God. Good, good God, amazing God. Lord, give us our ears to hear, eyes to see, and soft hearts that are able to receive the message that you have for us today. We come to you expectant, hungry, thirsty, Lord, seeking a personal encounter with you as you reveal yourself to us and in us and in this church and all the other churches. Oh, come, Spirit of God, have your way. Take the message of God and speak it to each person in this place, that we would be responsive, that we would hear and we would move. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Earlier this year, the Lord gave me a picture of a huge tidal wave coming up the Whangarei Harbour. It was so big, it looked like 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 metres high. And it just kept rolling up the town basin, across the hills, and up to the far north and over to the west coast. As the wave rolled in, I could see that there were a few people who, was, who were surfing it very successfully. They were riding high and, um, and feeling very safe, and they were enjoying themselves. And the Lord said to me, these are the people who have eagerly heard and received my foretold word. The people have been unwaveringly trusting and believing in and zealously prepared for my wave of revival that is coming. The wave I've been telling people about for some time now, the message of which they have taken seriously and told others about at every opportunity. A few more people were swimming furiously in the curl of the wave. Now, this wave never crashed. It just kept coming, but it was surrounded by a huge volume of water that also kept coming. Um, They were just managing to keep their heads above the water, but at risk of being swept away into the 
thundering surf if they weren't vigilant. The Lord said, these are the people who have heard my word for the future in Northland, and they do believe it, but they have not fully prepared, adequately prepared for what's coming. Complacency has risen up and compromise has distorted their vision. Without committed, conscientious preparation, they're struggling to keep afloat of the great tsunami I'm sending. And as a result, some of these people may not make it. Finally, there was a huge mass of people, professing Christians and unbelievers together, who were clearly drowning. Thousands and thousands. The Lord said, these people are careless, apathetic. Some of them appear to love me, but they fail to obey me. They do not warn others of the impending danger of the revival wave because they don't comprehend or even believe it themselves. What they do share is incomplete and lacks conviction. As I watched the waves sweep over our region, I was suddenly overcome by an immense grief for those who either didn't know about or had failed to believe in or to respond to the numerous prophetic warnings that the Lord has provided of this impending event. I believe I was experiencing the grief of the Lord for his people who were lost. As I waited for the Lord on today's message, I felt the Lord says we need to do two things so that we're adequately prepared. First of all, we need to step out, and then secondly, we need to step up. Step out and step up. The Lord is showing me two factors that can interfere with our capacity to move from where we are right now to the place that he's calling us to be in, into a position of personal revival. It's about our own personal, our individual revival to respond individually and personally to the Lord. We don't look to the person beside us, in front of us or behind us because God is looking at me. He's looking at you. The two factors that he showed me was firstly, we have wrong priorities sometimes and secondly, we have hurting souls which interfere with that capacity that we have to shift into the fullness of what God is calling us to. Let's start off by looking at wrong priorities. God's priorities should be our priorities. God's priorities must be our priorities if we're going to hear and move into this. However, for most of us, from time to time, life just seems to get in the way, doesn't it? God becomes second to other things that rise up and seem to demand our immediate attention. We can put him on the back burner while we attend to what appears to be the more urgent. For example, the person is in our face and demanding action right now. Or the situation that's at risk of turning into a major disaster. So it goes on. I could go around this room and every one of you could list a genuine call that's drawing you away. It's real and it's right in your life. And so there becomes a problem for us. What are we going to do? How do we manage this? There's a lesson about priorities to be learned in the Old Testament book of Haggai. Twice, not once, but twice, in a book which contains only two chapters, and in the first chapter, the prophet Haggai tells the people of Judah 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Reading from verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to build the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Give careful ways, thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You expected much but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home blew away. Why, declares the Lord God Almighty, because my house which remains a a ruin while each of you is busy in your own house. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Haggai verse 7 and 8 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thoughts to your way. Go up to the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and I might be honoured. Verse 12. Then Serubabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, Jehoshaphat, son of Jehoshua, son of Jehoshajak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. This is a sort of reverential, awesome devotion that Matt prayed about, talked about earlier today. Something that moves us straight into the very throne room of God, something that grabs us in the heart and and causes us to recognise that God is indeed God, who he says he is, that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he will have his way. Amen. They came and they began to work on the house of the Lord God Almighty. You know, I've learned that when God says something more than once on the same occasion, we should take notice. Because if it's that important to him, it must also become that important to us. God wants to bless us, but we interfere with his plans when we fail to hear him or refuse to acknowledge what he's saying to us. When we do not obey him, we interfere with what he wants to do, the blessings he wants to impart to us. In Haggai chapter 1, God's people were more concerned about their own interests, their own priorities, than they were about those of their God. They were focusing more on themselves and more on their own needs instead of on God and of what he was wanting of them. As a result, they never had enough of anything and they always felt dissatisfied, just like we feel when we're not investing sufficient time in the things of the Lord. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah? We can be busy doing the work of God but ignoring God in the process or not putting him first in the work. We 
can be working for man instead of working for God. We can come to church and hear the word, even have a personal touch from the Lord, yet go home and forget what we've heard and experienced today. We don't put into practice what we hear. We don't check out the message like good Bereans to confirm the truth. We carry on with life as we usually do from Monday to Saturday. We don't often pray. We don't read God's word often. We don't participate in regular fellowship activities or Bible study or corporate prayer or fasting. And so we gradually lose our fervor for the things of God. Then we miss his voice. Um, when he speaks to us, and yet we long for more and more of the Holy Spirit. We long for the presence of God, like we felt the presence of God when we first met with him, that first love that just grabbed us and lifted us and caused us to walk on a cloud, filled with God, overwhelmed by him and by his goodness and by the magnitude of who he was and all the things he's done and what the word says about him. We long for that. Fortunately for the people of Judah, the voice of the Lord came to them with conviction as Haggai shared his word. They heard what God was saying and they made a choice to obey him and they feared him, the word said. We need to give careful thought to our ways. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but do store for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, etc. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these other things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storm came, the worst ever storm, but the house on the rock stand, stood and remains standing today. We need to build on the rock, that is Jesus Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds on the sand. In the storm, it doesn't stand, it falls and it crashes. Wrong priorities. Check it out. The other factor that God showed me was hurting souls. You know, sometimes it hurts so bad that we can hardly breathe, let alone live and live well as God has promised us. Lied to, lied about, misunderstood, not believed, bullied, abused, accused, derided, embarrassed, shamed, beaten, spat on, laughed at, scorned, ignored, offence, heartache, crushed in spirit, lonely, alone, lost, despair, hopelessness. There are so many ways in which the heart and soul of a person can be hurt to the point where it seems impossible to keep in touch with reality, let alone respond to the call to step out of it and to step up into more of God, into what he's offering us. We've all been there. We've all had our stories. Maybe you're here now. You know, sometimes this is of our own making. 
The Bible tells us in Proverbs that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In Proverbs 17, 19b, we read, He who builds a high gate invites destruction. When we're hurting, whether it's through our, the do, our own doing or the hands of others, we lose faith, we lose trust in people. And to protect ourselves, we tend to build up a strong wall so that nobody can come in and hurt us again or add to the hurt that we already have. Walls of protection that prevent people from touching us even prevents the Lord from meeting with us at our times of greatest need for him. High walls of destruction cause hurt that prevent us from stepping out and stepping up. Other times, this hurt comes from another person or people. Proverbs 18.9 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a city. They seem impenetrable. They seem to be unable to be turned around or to be broken. Yet again, it may be caused by something that's beyond our own understanding. The Bible tells us that a man's spirit sustains him in weakness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? Heartache crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15, 13b. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. God sees it all. He knows, um, he knows and feels as we do. And he says to us, in everything, do to others what they would have them do to you. Do not say, I'll do to him what he's done to pay. To me, I'll repay that man back for what he did. It's mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. You set your eyes on me. You trust me and you let me come and heal you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and speak falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. Now there's a million scriptures like that, but when you're hurting, it's hard to hear that, isn't it? It's hard to receive it. But God is there. He's right beside each one of us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He walks with us through it. And if we would just lift our eyes to him, if we would just surrender all, if we would just say, God, I'm at the end of it all. I can't do this anymore. I need you. I guarantee you that God will turn up if you really mean it in your heart when you call out to him. When you seek him and seek him with all of your heart, you will surely find him, Scripture says. Amen. Okay, so those are some of the factors that stop us from, from stepping into this revival, this personal revival that God calls us to. But we have to step out of those things. We have to make that choice. If we have to, we find help to help us to step out. But don't stay where you are. Decide you're going to be surfing the revival when it comes and step out because God's right here, hand outstretched, saying, today's the day, now's the time, you can do it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
The only way to step out of a wounded soul is to step up into Christ. That's the only way I know to be delivered and set free, is to get closer to God. We need to press into the, our God, the saviour and lover of our souls. He loves us with an, a never-ending and everlasting love. He loves us more than any person on earth can love us. His love never changes. It's the same yesterday, today and forever. That is our God. People can draw alongside us and comfort us with the comfort that they have received from Christ. But only Jesus can truly and permanently heal our hearts and our souls. We need to really get to know Jesus and to make his priorities our priorities so that we're right there, right with him where he needs us to be, where he longs for us to be, because he longs for us to be, have a personal revival that ushers in the new wine that he's pouring out on this land. We need to know Jesus. Philippians 3, 10 to 11, the Apostle Paul writes, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in um, his sufferings, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what God is calling us to do. We need to have that urgency in our spirits which says, I just need to know him. I need to know him. I need to know him. Philippians 3, 10 to 11 has been my life scripture ever since I first met Christ in 1987. For the first 19 years of my life, my walk with Christ, I really knew Christ with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Oh, how I knew him. Oh, how I loved him. It was a love match made in heaven. Just my saviour, my lord, my best friend and me. Consumed by the seal of God, overwhelmed by Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit and living out of the overflow. Sitting daily at my lord's feet, snuggling into my heavenly father's chest. Looking, listening, learning, weeping, laughing, dancing. Together, we did everything together. I seldom knew or did anything apart from him. Jesus Christ, the one and only son of God, who was with God in the beginning. The word was with God and the word was God, we're told in John 1. The word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the word of truth. Jesus Christ, the word of truth. This is one way to get to know him. Right, this week, no, in the last two weeks, I've had three people speak to me about how they have difficulty reading the Bible. We all learn in different ways. We all get messages in different ways. It's called learning style, and learning style is unique to each one of us. Maybe you can't read the word of God and have it understandable for you. Maybe you prefer to hear it. 
If you need to be walking or need to be doing other things when you think you should be reading the Word of God, then download the Bible onto your phone and stick the plugs in your ear, ears as you walk. All right? There's different ways that we can have the Word of God. We don't have to read it on here or in, on a tablet or a phone or an iPad or whatever it is that you use. We can do it in a multitude of ways, but find the way that suits you and hear the word of God because this is Jesus Christ. If you want to know Jesus Christ, you must read the word of God. Now that sort of knowing of the word of God is factual. That's right, it's having knowledge of Christ. It's called head knowledge, facts and truth found in the Bible. When I was first saved, I read insatiably every verse, every book, every chapter, one book after the other. As I read the word of God, I believed it, helped by the Holy Spirit. And my motto became, if God says it, that does it. There was never any argument for me. I was impassioned and in love with Jesus, the word of God. My knowledge soon became heart and spiritual knowledge. My head knowledge became heart and spiritual knowledge, which came through experience and living in union with Jesus Christ and through experience of the reality of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. We're told that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in as a guarantee, settles in us, guarantee of our salvation. The Bible tells us that as a result, we have the mind of Christ through the indwelling spirit. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. My body becomes the temple, a temple of the living God. God lives in me. Now, if you have the Holy Spirit of God, God himself living in you, if you know you're saved... You believed you're saved and you have God himself living in you. What more do we need? We're talking God here. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about God living in me, living in you. He's right in there with you. So when you read or listen to or watch the word of God, Jesus Christ the word, the Holy Spirit brings enlightenment, helps you to understand, connects with you, gives you a personal revelation, touches you, reduces you to tears, causes you to know and learn Jesus Christ the word. Amen. This experience transformed my entire being until I no longer wanted to conform to the ways, world's way of living, but instead to be renewed by the transforming the, or transformed by the renewing of my mind, filled with his thoughts, filled with his will, filled with his knowledge. Amen. And when we're that filled with God, we can see things that we know nothing about. It's called word of knowledge. When we talk to people, great wisdom, word of wisdom can come out of us. When we're filled with the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and we're interacting with God in this way, we can discern among the spirits and know what is holy and what is demonic. When we're filled this way, we can pray for people and they will be healed. We can have an extraordinary faith to believe that all things are possible and nothing is difficult. And we can see miracles and signs and wonders happen just because we know Christ this way. Imagine it. In Psalms, all the way throughout Psalms is this word. You might have noticed, Selah. 
Sila. Sila means stop and think on this. Don't keep on reading. Stop and think on this. Just imagine it. God the Father, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, Holy Spirit of God, they live in us through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Can you imagine what it means? Having God in us. Nothing's impossible because God lives right inside us, in here, and I know it. I feel it. I experience it every day. This experiential knowledge is powerful. It's Word of God, Jesus Christ, and indwelling Spirit of God. Together they are changing us from glory to glory into the image of our God because it is God in us. And the more we have of God, the more we become like God. Amen? Jesus' character. Jesus' way of thinking. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Philippians 10 and 11 says... Within days of my uh, my salvation, I started speaking in tongues while I was cleaning my teeth. The toothpaste splattered all over the mirror in the bathroom and I got such a shock, I stopped speaking. Fortunately for me, two and a half weeks later, um, somebody came and offered us baptism in the Holy Spirit. They laid hands on me and I started speaking in spirit language and tongues and I've never stopped. Hallelujah. When I don't know what to pray, he stands in the gaps and prays for me. Amen? Amen. I edify myself by praying in the Spirit. And others hear the miracle of of the Holy Spirit living in me as I pray in the Spirit. All right? I especially want to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so I prayed according to the Paul's Um, prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 1. God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This is a power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from death after being in a grave for three full days and three full nights. The same power Jesus used to raise Lazarus from the grave for a longer time. Same power Jesus used to raise a widow's only son. It's also the power that raised Jairus' daughter when the mourners were gathered around her dead body. That extraordinary, supernatural, divine power by which God raised Jesus from death is the same power at work and through every Christian believer as we are in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I convincing you? The power came and how the power came when I was filled with the Holy Spirit power to become the character of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, righteousness. It was all there. Radical transformation, strongholds broken, chains broken, the old becoming new. It was for freedom that Christ set me free and indeed I was set free. Then the next one, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Well, oddly enough, that didn't happen until the 20th year when I really understood about the sufferings. And when it came, it was hideous. 
It was a lie of the enemy that led to a false accusation, legal proceedings, and culminated in Tim and I being totally cut off from our church, our church family, our friends, our ministries, and my church employment of 15 years. It was done in an instant with one stroke of a magistrate's pen. Its effects was devastating. Although all legal charges were expunged 12, 10 months later when the defence acknowledged there was no case to be answered, the damage had already been done. A hurting soul, two hurting souls. Those 10 months at the hand of a devil who was doing his very best to delete us from all things Christian had such a detrimental impact on us that the old normal was never a viable option for us from that time on. It's taken me 10 years to regain a semblance of the experiential zealous relationship I had with my God. I never gave up reading the word, never gave up claiming the word in prayer, never gave up going to church. I struggled to re-establish regular and comprehensive Bible reading patterns, a consistent and spirit-controlled prayer life, regular fasting. The list goes on. But in the last couple of years, thank you for this church and these people and you. In the last couple of years, I've begun once again to feel and respond to the increasing hunger I feel from a faithful God who's never forgotten me, never forsaken me. It's so good to feel alive again in Christ. I believe that what saved me from a greater downturn was those first 20 years that I invested in consistent relationship with God. It is true that what we sow, we do reap. So put in the effort it will happen wherever you're at. It will happen. Would the worship team like to come, please? Finally, the scripture says, becoming like him in his death. We read um, the chapter before this, verses 5 to 9, about have, taking on the attitude of Jesus Christ, become, humbling ourselves, acknowledging our need, confessing our sins, choosing to repent, and once again, seeking Christ with all our being. And then becoming obedient, even to death, if that's what required of him. According to Pastor Penny, Janet was surrendering herself even to death, going to Shanghai. Not that Janet saw it that way. But, you know, God asks us to do extraordinary things. Like the people of Judah, it's time for us to do away with the petty matters of life and the self-focused activity. It's time to die to self and become alive in Christ Jesus to develop a genuine fear of the Lord, to have a reverential devotion of the Lord that compels us to live like him and to become like him, to truly, really know him. It's time to be filled and overflowing with Holy Spirit to keep us full of the seal of God, to keep us ready to make the most of every opportunity to exhibit God's presence and his power for everyone we encountered so that they can see it and they can experience it. 